Well, good morning, Faith Church family. I hope you all had an awesome Christmas. Um, it, it is an incredible blessing to, uh, to, to get to bring this morning's message. Um, and like I said, we are going to be in Galatians chapter 5, and we are going to be in verse 1. Um, this is the text we're going to be working through this morning, and it might just be one verse, but I think the incredible truth that this one verse packs is unparalleled. And I believe the truth in this passage is the perfect place for us to be the day after Christmas, December uh, 26. And so my hope is that as we are unpacking it, you would think about it in the light of the fact of what we got to celebrate over the last couple of days. Uh, so let's read this verse and then let's pray. So Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for, um, just thank you for all of the blessings you have given us, the ones that we've seen, the ones that we haven't seen. God, I pray this morning as we read your word uh, that we would, we would be transformed by your truth. God, I pray that the truth of your word would, would change us. It would help us to love you more, love those around us more. God, I pray that um, uh, this message would be your truth. God, that anywhere that I would, would stumble upon um, just selfish truths or selfish things, God, that you would clear those out, that you would um, block that out of ears and that what would be heard this morning is truth. I, I pray that uh, you would just help grow us Lord, thank you for uh, just the, the Christmas season. I, I pray this morning, God, that uh, for those who, whom, whom Christmas was difficult this year, that, that they would hear your word and it would be like fresh water. I pray for those who, whom had a, had a joyful Christmas, that this would just be a continuation of that joy. We love you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Galatians. This is an intense book of the Bible. Uh, I remember when I was in school and I was tasked with reading and listening through all of Paul's letters. So Galatians was a letter that was written to this church in Galatia. And uh, this was before, you know, there were no audio Bibles. And so it wasn't like you were downloading an app, but instead we had to purchase a CD. I know we weren't going far back enough for uh, tapes, but we were getting CDs. And uh, we, had to, we had to purchase the complete set of the New Testament on CD audiobook and listen to them. And we had to listen through these letters and journal through them as we listened to them. And I remember distinctly listening through the letter of Galatians and journaling through it. Uh, because as you listened to it, there was like this flowery music that was playing in the background and this nice, smooth voice. And I wrote down in my journal that I, I, they, they got it all wrong. They got the tone all wrong. Uh, they should have had intense metal music playing in the background of Galatians um, because I feel like that would have fit the mood a little bit better. Uh, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Galatia that was having their faith tested. There were those outside of the church that were saying that their salvation and their inclusion into God's people was not complete by the work that Jesus did alone on the cross, but it was additional works outside of it that they needed to complete in order to stand before God rightly. And you can feel that tension. If you actually go back into Galatians 1, so really quickly, right at the beginning of the letter, Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9, you kind of feel this tension, right? Paul says, 
I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel or a different good news. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. And I've read this letter multiple times since college, and I, I think my, my view on the tone has shifted just a little bit. There is this admonishment that is happening to the, to the church that is kind of intense, but there's also this pleading. There is this pleading for the church not to be distracted by any sort of other gospel. Other than that, the good news of Jesus. And he even goes so far as to say that if an angel from heaven were to appear and preach a gospel different than the one that you heard, they should be accursed. And this language is strong, and the message is strong. The good news of Jesus plus anything else is no good news at all. It is not Jesus plus anything else that saves, it is solely Jesus who saves. It is the life death, resurrection of Jesus Christ that we rest our salvation upon. Anyone or anything else that tries to say anything more than that is selling a salvation of works, which is to say, no salvation at all. It is the, uh, the famous Puritan quote that says, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And this is the tension that Paul is leaning into when he is writing the letter of Galatians. And this is the tension we should feel as we're reading Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. So you might be asking, okay, that's intense. Day after Christmas, we were just like celebrating Jingle Bells and Rudolph and it, like things were happy, Christoph. Why, why is it so intense? So why is this so important the day after Christmas? Well, I, I'll tell you, I was really caught off guard this year. I feel like each year um, I, I have something that just catches me off guard in, in, in celebrating Christmas. And this year I was caught off guard by how much I undervalued Christmas as a season of giving. I have joined in the choir saying that Christmas is about giving and not receiving. I have echoed the same cliches each year in and year out. And, and they're cliches for a good reason, right? Uh, Christmas is about giving. We celebrate by giving presents to one another and, and seeing the joy that that brings. And, and being a parent, I get to witness that firsthand, just getting to see my, my children open up gifts and uh, the joy that that brings. But this year, I was so caught off guard by thinking about why is it Christmas is celebrated by giving. The traditions are not void of reason. Otherwise, they would just be empty things we do. No, the reason we give is because we have a God who gives greatly. God modeled giving to us, right? Romans 8 32 says it so clearly. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us as well, how will he not also with him graciously give all things? We practice the tradition of giving not just because it's fun or because we want more stuff in the house. We practice the tradition of giving because it is in the very nature of our creator God who created every inch of this universe to show his glory, his majesty, his generosity, and his extravagance. And by doing what? By giving. I, I mean, think about this for a moment. Just think for a moment. Uh, close your eyes or don't close your eyes, but I think it will work better if you close your eyes. Imagine yourself taking a big bite out of a, a big juicy steak. 
or maybe a perfectly crafted pizza, or maybe, if you're like me, and you like breakfast food, it's a big stack of French toast dripped in maple syrup. That sensation of taste, a gift from God. Take a big breath in, a big breath out. Oxygen, a gift from God. This building that we're in, this building that we get the chance to worship in, to fellowship in, to congregate in, or if you're like me or some of the youth ministry, to make memories playing games in, is all gifts from God. All of these are incredible gifts, but they all pale in comparison to the greatest gift he gave, which is what we celebrate at Christmas. Right? We celebrate the fact that he gave himself. But what about December 26th? Christmas comes and it goes. What about December 26th? What about the day after the celebration? An unfortunate consequence of the human condition is that we forget so quickly the gifts we have been given. We see this all throughout Scripture. It's woven in the story of God's people. Given incredible gifts and we quickly forget. And this is why I believe Galatians 5.1, this verse is so particularly important for us this morning. This small, simple, singular verse. that we are reminded that we cannot allow the foundation of Christmas to be something that we celebrate once a year, but rather a continuation of people finding joy in God, finding meaning, satisfaction in God alone. So that is why I believe Galatians 5.1 is important December 26. So with that in mind, let's unpack it a little bit. So, if you've got your Bible, once more, Galatians 5, chapter 1, have it out in front of you. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I like to put things into neat little silos when I am reading through them. And I believe when I read this verse, I see three different moments in the life of a Christian. So this is going to kind of get broken up into three distinct parts, right? There's this time when we are uh, submitted to this yoke of slavery. There's this moment, this glorious moment where Christ sets us free. And then there's this moment where we live in that freedom of Christ, right? There is a before God, there is a but then God, and there is a now with God in this verse. And that's how we're going to approach the message this morning. So the warning to Christians is to not go back to submitting to a yoke of slavery. To, to be a slave means to be bound to something, to be exploited or in debt to something or someone. Another definition that I found was being submitted to a dominating influence. And this is what sin does to us. When we are bound to sin, we are indebted to a dominating influence. And if you think that it's intense language, it's only intense and it's only perfect because Jesus uses it himself. He says in John 8, 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the problem is that sin is naturally engraved in our hearts. And the irony is if we try to fight that, if we try to fight that truth and go, no, it's not, we only go to prove it. That's what 1 John 1.8 says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We are bound to our desires, and our desires are not those of God, but they are 
of our own. And the older I get, the more I become convinced of this. I, I have, I've had multiple conversations this month alone with Christians and non-Christians alike. And what's incredible to me is that there seems to be the same thread throughout the conversations, that there is a brokenness to the world around us. And the thing is, is we're really quick to blame the brokenness on everything and everyone around us. And there's truth to that. Sin is both external, but the problem is that our natural bend is, bend is to also be indebted to sin, to be exploited by sin, to be submitted to the domineering influence of sin. Addiction, hatred, violence, affairs, worshiping of idols, abuse, racism, sexism, the list goes on and on. This is the yoke we are submitted to in our natural state. It's devastating. It destroys. It destroys marriages. It destroys relationships. It destroys childhoods. It destroys cultures. Sin destroys. It destroys from the inside out, and it destroys from the outside in. But God, right? But God. Can I get an amen? But God. One more time. Can I get another amen? Yeah. Christ has set us free. Those who are in Christ know that this is not the end of the story. That is why we have joy. That is why we can say that, yes, sin does destroy, but God. And this is the second moment that I notice in Galatians 5, chapter 1, is that there are a people who were once submitted to this yoke of sin, this overwhelming, domineering influence, but Christ has set them free. This is the gospel. This is the gift. This is what we celebrate each and every Christmas and each and every Easter and when we take communion, the Lord's Supper, and when we gather to worship together on Sunday morning and when we gather in our homes together, we gather for Bible studies. Each and every moment that we breathe, we are recognizing the incredible gift God has given himself. My favorite verse that captures this, and I go back to this verse all the time, this, this section, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to it. I think this is one that's important to have engraved on your heart. If you want a scripture to memorize, if, if, you, if you're not in the practice of memorizing scripture, this is a great place to start. This is one to have bookmarked. This is one to have written, written down somewhere. 1 Corinthians, not, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but, but God, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Sin may destroy, but we serve and worship a God who conquered literal death itself. The grave could not contain him. Destruction itself was destroyed. This past month, we spent time talking about the extravagant king and his extravagant kingdom. And that's what this is talking about here. This is the inheritance, the extravagant king, his extravagant kingdom. 
And it's important to note that when we talk about kingdom language, when we, we start talking about the kingdom, we're not just talking about some future kingdom, even though that's part of what it is, but it's also these tastes and moments of experiencing that very kingdom today. There's two things that come to mind to me when I think about inheriting the kingdom of God. The first one is the very explicit forgiveness of our sins, which holds us back from eternity with God. It holds us back from right relationship with God. This is the yoke that we are submitted to, and we are forgiven. This yoke of slavery is removed from us, and we do not have to pay the price that's demanded for our sin. Every sin, past, present, and future, was paid for. And how was it paid? Was it by what you did? Was it by what I did? No. It was paid only by Jesus upon the cross. This is the gift we celebrate at Christmas. Christ has set us free. We cannot undersell that gift because it wasn't just something that God gave us. The God who is all-powerful, the God who snapped his fingers and created everything, he said, the thing I'm going to give is myself. We, we, have, we have, over the past month, been in Philippians 2 a couple of times, and I, like, I just can't think of a better place to be in. It's, it, it's funny that even uh, on Christmas Eve, uh, we, we were in it a little bit. But Philippians chapter 2, if you've got it, this is another, place, another great place to have in your Bible. If you have your Bible, Philippians chapter 2. Because it just, it so beautifully reminds us of this gift. Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And what about Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The very God who, who created the literal rules of physics that we abide by each and every day gave himself for us. The very God who knows the depths of the ocean, something that we in all of our technological greatness, by the way, have yet to do. Like, awesome, we have Facebook and virtual reality. Do you know that there are still creatures in the ocean that we have no idea about because we have not been able to get there? Yeah, God knows about them. He created them. It's not surprising to him. He's the very God who created the galaxies. Not only did he create all the galaxies, he knows every single one of them, all those stars. And he gave himself up for us. Earlier this year, we, we had our, um, our third child, Abel, and he has begun to eat food, right? Um, you know, smashed up like vegetables and, uh, and fruit and stuff. And, and I shouldn't be surprised at this point, right, being uh, my third child, but it is hilarious watching him try to like eat food. It is awesome. <laughs> um, he's just trying to figure out like motor functions of his mouth. He's just like he's just not there. Like, he has no idea. He just has to pra like practice eating. He has he has no idea. And it is incredible to me that when we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating the fact that God did not decide to come to Earth as an adult. He he could have done that. No, he decided to come to earth as a baby. Jesus, at one point, this is the part that just blows my mind, Jesus at one point relied completely on his parents to feed him. 
And like, I wonder if they were just like bummed with like how much sweet potatoes he was getting all over his face. Like, come on, man. <laughs> it is awe-inspiring to think that the God of the universe, at some point, in order to show his glory, took on human form and went through the humbling process of learning motor functions with his mouth. And he did that so he could live a sinless life, so he could walk the walk that we could not. He could teach the disciples what it meant to follow him and ultimately pay the price that we deserve so we could live free. Christ has set us free. Now, I said there were two things that came to mind when it came to inheriting the kingdom. I didn't want you to hang on that and think that I forgot about it. The second thing, so the first one being the literal forgiveness of sins. The second thing that comes to mind when we talk about that is the broken chains and the freedom to walk as God has called us to. Inheriting the kingdom doesn't just mean this eternity with God after we pass from this life. It also means we have the opportunity to walk with God in this very moment. And I worry sometimes that as churches, we miss out on this. We lean too heavy on one side or the other. We think of inheriting the kingdom as only like an eternity with God in the next life, and then it just doesn't affect our current life. It just has no bearing on the things that we do in the here and now. And then on the other side, sometimes we think about inheriting the kingdom, and we end up losing the eternity that Jesus literally talked about he, he was going to prepare for us. We can't lean too far on one side or the other. We have to remember that it is both. Inheriting the kingdom is eternity with God and changed lives in the here and now. This is what freedom looks like. Jesus doesn't just remove the yoke of slavery. He gives us a new life here and now. He says it himself, right? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. This is in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Getting that gift from God, the freedom from Christ, we don't just get it, set it up on a shelf and go, oh, neat and then it collects dust. No, this is the greatest gift we could ever receive. This is the sort of gift that we cannot receive in some sort of mild manner. This gift that we receive changes everything. Jesus says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man covered it up in his joy, goes out and sells everything that he has and goes and buys his field, everything that that man is, was, will be, is about Jesus, is about kingdom living, is about living in that freedom. And that brings us back to Galatians 5.1, doesn't it? For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We've spoken about being bound to sin. And we've spoken about the but God. We've looked at the greatest gift God has given in himself, that Christ has set us free, and now we get the chance to talk about living in that freedom. And that's what it says, right? This, this took me a second. That's what it says here. It says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. 
And then the call is to stand firm in that freedom. So I think the very natural question at that point then should be, what is freedom? If you immediately read this passage and you think the, big, the three big Bs, brats, burgers, and bald eagles, you're not thinking the same freedom that Paul is writing about. <laughs> if, if, if a red, white, and blue flag appear in your mind and you start hearing the national anthem, this is not the freedom Paul is talking about. I think given our natural context of uh, the nation we are blessed to live in, it's easy to do that. It could be easy to export this passage into a political part of our brain, but that's not what Paul is talking about. There's another type of freedom that's being talked about here. Another type, by the way, of freedom that we're not talking about. I feel like it's important to get these out of the way. Another freedom that's not being talked about here is this ability to do whatever you want. I think sometimes we come across the word freedom and we kind of define it as like this catch-all to just mean you have the ability to do whatever you want. That is not the freedom Paul is talking about here. Freedom, Christian freedom, true freedom is bigger better, and more beautiful than any sort of worldly system can attempt to create. I was really caught off guard when I was studying this passage. I don't typically look at um, the King James Version of verses, but I was, I, was, I was looking through some of my resources, and all of a sudden I was reading the King James Version of this passage. And I thought it was really interesting how it translated this. So I'm going to read for you the King James Version with all of the... And stuff in it as well. Um, there's only one, but it, but it makes me happy reading it, so I'm going to do it. Um, this is what the King James Version says of Galatians 5.1. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not engaged, entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You see the different word that was used there? Liberty. I actually really like that. I kind of like the word liberty because there's a different weight to that word. I think, at least for me, I I read liberty and I hear a different weight than just freedom. Having the liberty to do something is the difference between whether you can do something and whether you should do something. That's the freedom we've been freed to. We no longer live as those bound to the flesh, but we live free as God has called us to. We are finally able to fulfill and be the people we were and are called to be when we embrace freedom in Christ. I I love, if you don't know what the Westminster uh, Catechism is, I I love it. Catechism is just a way of teaching truths about God and in the 1600s, there was one that was written um, that our, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters use uh, to teach their kids. And the very first question of the Westminster Catechism says this, what is the chief end of man? Which seems like a very natural thing. Like that, That's the first thing that they're taught. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I love that. If you want to sum up what our purpose is in life, which, working with youth, I get that question all the time. What is, what is purpose? What is me? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
Being free means you are able to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We are only ever truly free to live towards these ends when we are given freedom by Christ. We're only able to live that way when we are freed by Christ. And I can imagine there's going to be some who say, that's not freedom. I can imagine right now some people sitting there going, that's not freedom if we're not free to do whatever we want. And, and I understand that. But listen to this quote uh, from, I'm going to try to pronounce this name correctly. I might, well, I'm going to mess it up. Eliad Kipoge. Anyone here know who Eliad Kipoge is? We've got one person. That's awesome. Oh, Eliad Kipoge, which I'm probably butchering the name. I know. Um, marathon runner. Ran, uh, ran the marathon 26 miles in two hours and one minute. Yeah, that's kind of crazy, right? Um, and when asked about discipline, this is what he had to say. Only the disciplined ones in life are free. If you are undisciplined, you are a slave to your moods and passions. I love that quote because that quote reminds me of the freedom that we have in Christ. The freedom to live lives that glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I'm not advocating for a works-driven faith. Do not hear me say that. Where freedom is found in the thing, the, um, your freedom is not found in the things you do or don't do, or the disciplines you engage with or don't engage with. What I'm saying is that we have freedom in Christ. We are no longer bound to the questions of what can I do, or what can't I do, which leads to this enslavement of sin. But what should I do? which is freedom to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So this is what I believe Christian freedom looks like. It is no longer defining life by can we do something. And part of the reason is that is because that puts our ability at the forefront of our decision making. But instead, it's asking the question, what should I do? Which puts our consciences at the forefront of how we live. I'll unpack that for a second. There's, there's a difference, right? I'll give an, I'll give an example, a very uh, real example for me given the last couple of days. Can versus should. Can I eat that third slice of apple pie on Christmas? Absolutely, I can. <laughs> Let me tell you that both ability and experience has taught me that I could not only have the third one, but the fourth and fifth could probably happen as well. Should I eat? the third slice of apple pie? Now that is a different question. The answer strikes up the question of whether I'm engaging in, in gluttony, something that God's word tends to speak not too favorably about. And all of a sudden I'm running through the different filters of, is this what God has called me to do? Is this the person that God has called me to be? It's ability versus conscience. Far too often we ask the question, can I, not should I? When we are free, we are free to live the way that God has called us to, which in its absolute purest form looks like loving God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself, and then bringing other people along with you in that process. That is freedom in Christ. That is true freedom. This is what the Puritans used to refer to, by the way, as Christian conscience. Um, which, which, is, which is really cool. I don't, um, we don't speak too often about conscience, but I, I was reading the other day um, this book by, by J.I. Packer where he goes through some of the thought process 
uh, thought process of, of the Puritans. And, and he summed up Christian conscience, uh, something the Puritans leaned on really, really heavily. He said that what Christian conscience is, is this true knowledge of oneself, or that is knowledge of yourself as God knows you. So, so think about that for a moment. If, if we're asking the question, what should I do? Who should I be? What should I engage in? And we're saying that that puts our Christian conscience at the forefront. That is then asking the question of who we are, not because of how we see ourselves, but who we are because of who God sees us. You see the difference? That is Christian freedom. When we pursue that, we will have joy. We have all, all these promises that Jesus gave us are wrapped up in this. We stand firm in this knowledge. We stand firm of we stand firm because of who God has made us to be. This is the charge of Galatians 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm knowing who you are because of who God says you are. Know that if Jesus has set you free, you are free indeed. You are free knowing that you are forgiven. You are free knowing you are loved. You are free knowing that you are called to a high walk in life, to love God in all that you do and to love others even when it is difficult. So that's why I believe that this verse, this charge, living free is so important on December 26th, the day after Christmas, that we would not forget the gift we have been given and that we would walk in the truth of that freedom. It is very easy to fall into the CEO life, the, Christ, uh, the uh, Christmas, Easter only uh, Christian life. Don't allow yourself to fall back into that yoke of slavery. Don't take your eyes off of the cross. Live free. Stand firm, church. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and I'm going to pray. God, thank you so much for this truth. Thank you for uh, the freedom we have in you. Thank you that you have removed the chains, the yoke of sin and given us freedom. God, I pray that we would walk in that freedom. God, I pray that you would put on our hearts your word, your law, your goodness. God, that you would guide us in loving you, that you would guide us in loving those around us. And God, that you would then use our, uh, our freedom, you would use the freedom that we live in to just make your name known. I pray that you would make your name known in Peshtigo, in Marinette, Menominee, Krivitz, Coleman, Lino. God, I pray that you would make your name known and I pray that you would use us to, to, to do that. God, help us to be um, obedient to where you're calling us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.